Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 44 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And I am currently recording from an Airbnb in Baltimore, Maryland, out here visiting my grandma. Um, it's rainy, so I feel like I'm right at home in Seattle. <laughs> oh, how's the time change? The yeah. Oh, the time change is brutal, but I don't feel that bad because while it is 9 a.m. here, it feels like 6 a.m. to me. It is 6 a.m. for Keely. No, she's now living in a very dark, dark room. Keely, turn your lights on. There okay, we that's go. better. That's much better. Yeah, no, it still <laughs> feels like 6 a.m. to me. So it's kind of a brutal, a brutal time change. I'm going to go out for a little jog after this. But yeah, the like, I'm here to see my grandma. So running is kind of on the back burner for the weekend. Like, just going to do a little bit of running and know that next week we'll get to kind of be a big week. I took a very, uh, we'll call it a reactive rest day instead of a proactive rest day on Tuesday. I literally woke up, didn't really want to run, drove to the trailhead eventually, <laughs> ran 400 <laughs> meters from my car and then said, yeah, nope. And walked <laughs> back to my car and then called my friend Heidi and I was like, Hey, like just like yeeted myself out of my run. Like, can I, do you want coffee? Like I'm free until two. And so I like drove to my friend's Heidi, like to my friend's house um, and had coffee with her and her dog. And it was great. But yeah, it's just like a good reminder that like, that is okay and good and normal. Um, and I'm not going to be worse for wear for it, but you know, it's uh it was a good reminder of like, just tuning into things. Mm-hmm. I can yeah, relate. Yeah. Isn't yeah, it Alexi Pappas who says like, isn't it one third of the runs you're going to feel really crappy. One third, you're going to feel okay. And one third, you're going to feel amazing or something like that. I think it's yeah. like, I think it's less. I think it's like <laughs> a 10th. You feel amazing. Yeah. I'm just kidding. And I'm kidding. <laughs> 70% you feel mediocre. Um, actually, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which maybe that's something to be discussed at some point, but no, it's one of those things where it's like, I think if I had had a friend with me, maybe cause I was mostly emotionally tired. I wasn't really mm-hmm. physically um, in a bad spot, like didn't have any, you know, niggles, um, keeping it, like, holding me back, but it was, yeah, it was, it was yeah. the emotional and mental. The space. emotional prep is before the, the physical, I think. Oh yeah. This yeah. Is, when this you is start crying on runs, that's a red flag to stop running. I just wanted no, a nap. I wanted yeah. a nap more than anything. So I, yeah, came home, had coffee with a friend, walked my dog around the neighborhood, laid down for a little bit. It was, you know, made the most of a, yeah, a little reactive rest day. So take a reactive rest day if you need out there, folks. I like that. Do it. I like it. Keely, I know that you're still studying for the MCAT. When is MCAT test date? Can we leak that to the world? Oh, she leaked it. All right, guys. Give Keely some love on the interwebs. (laughs) All your smartest smartest vibes. Mark your calendars. April 14th. I've been talking to, I was actually talking to my colleague yesterday, Kelly Pritchett, about like testing and how it's almost exactly like training where you could have a day where you like crush it. And Mm -hmm. then like yesterday, I just got so crushed and I'm like, Oh, like I kind of thought I was ready. And today Mm -hmm. I just totally floundered. And it's Mm -hmm. just a good reminder that like one day doesn't define what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. And like one hero taper for one of those for the test. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's like when I've, when I've taken big practice tests in the past, like after black canyons it was after like a little bit of a downtime and it's like your brain can't always work at the highest level like if you're studying eight eight or nine hours a day and then you're like 
expecting yourself to do really great on everything. It's like, well, you're kind of tired probably, but yeah, it's like taper for the test, man. You got to yeah. do it. I remember yeah, that sure. like cramming. I would never do that in college. Oh, I'd never yeah. cram before. You, Cause test. you don't, you don't get smarter after 10 PM. In college for sure. What? Oh yeah. No, not oh. at all. I no, shut the get test. After 10 I, t- I set the, I shut the studying down at like seven. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I start at like six. So, but I I had to tell myself that I say, you know, you're not gonna get smarter after 10 p.m. Like sleep is more important. We're not gonna get Um, faster if we like cram in that extra run for the the taper week. mm -hmm. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, (laughs) all Uh, related. Right in the feels there. Speaking of Dr. Kelly Pritchett, we need to have her on the podcast. We need to have the two of you on the podcast together to nerd out in unison. So let's make let's make that happen. Yeah, cool. she started leaking some of the data, so I feel like she'd be open to having a chat here. Let's shortly. let's leak it. Let's leak it on the podcast <laughs> live. We're gonna do it live. No, we're not. But we will. Uh, <laughs> we'll do we'll it on the it. next episode, maybe. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Okay, we've got a great episode for you all today. But first, we need to give a big shout out to one of our sponsors. That is AG One. When we did that, actually, this is a nutrition episode. And when we did a call out for nutrition questions, one of you wrote in, I thought it was a really great question and said, I'm curious about your your all sponsorship with Athletic Greens. I've heard it advertised by a lot of folks I respect and I, and you speak highly of it in your ads. You're also science-minded runners who take a research-based approach to sport. Given that, I'm curious what you think the benefits are. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the benefits of using this product and just kind of like how we source and think about supplements in general real quick. So AG1. What, what do you guys think? What is it doing for you? I mean, I'll start a little bit. Um, you know, I think you have to take, and we'll talk to this in, in the episode later today. So, I mean, pay attention to that because we talk about supplements, but I think as athletes, you're demanding a lot of your body and the timing of your nutrition and getting in exactly what you want from a whole foods based diet. Great. But there probably are some things missing, especially if you get a little bit busy, like I think all of us are. Um, and then, you know, like add in families and work and all this other stuff. So, I mean, I think a supplement can do a good job of um, and filling in the holes. And I think Athletic Greens, the AG1 specifically does a really good job. And especially, you know, especially for me, if I'm going from one thing to another or putting in a big training week, I mean, my body's going to be primed for absorbing all of these like, my, like micronutrients, all the things that I need um, that maybe I can't get in every meal that I'm preparing. Um, so that's how, that's how I look about it. It's not my, you know, I'm not just going to eat a bunch of pills to, to fulfill my nutritional needs, but something that can fill in the holes, I think is, is, is amazing for athletes in general. I love it. I love filling in the holes. Keely, what about you? Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of the same for me. It's a really nice add to like my go-to recovery smoothie to begin with, just to, you know, like try to fill in those gaps when you can, because obviously as a high performing athlete that also does other stuff, like there's a lot of times where you're probably a little bit under missing the mark on micronutrient macronutrient so good to add in athletic greens into those smoothies and just give yourself a little boost and then Mm -hmm. i'm a super nerd i'm a super nerd and it's got probiotics and prebiotics in it and for me like for my i've got really horrible iron absorption issues Mm -hmm. i've it's been i've been plagued with iron issues my entire adult life basically and there's a lot of actually good research on um called symbiotics so a combo pro and prebiotic really aids in iron absorption. So something I've been, I've been working on with that. And I love that it's safe for sport, right? Mm-hmm. That's a huge yeah. deal as athletes who, while we are not yet tested all the time, it's still really important that we know what we are putting in our body is what is on the label. And so using a supplement like AG1 that is safe for sport certified, um, is a big, uh, a big lift of anxiety off my mind. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So if you too would like to get your hands on some AG1, you can go over to athleticgreens.com slash trail society there with your first purchase. You can get a one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. So again, that's over at www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Go check it out. Results, y'all. Some racing happened. Some racing uh, near and dear to our heart up in the PNW. Best 50K. Best 50K in the world. Sorry, Dylan. We really like, we really like Chuckanut. Yeah. Gorge is great, but Chuckanut has my heart. Chuckanut, I mean, is so 29th edition. So I think we should all be there for the 30th edition next year, maybe. Like, Mark, I was there last year. Was I there? Yes, I was. And then, yeah, yeah, hanging out next year. Yeah, you did a soft, you did a soft chuckanut. I think we all need to do hard chuckanuts. I really want to run it next year again. Yeah, let's do it, Chrissy Mole. If you're listening to this, which I think you sometimes do, um, <laughs> we want in to the 2024 edition of the race. I was running up and down Cleeter Road with um, Katrina, Chris Brown's wife, crewing a group of boys as well as Devin Yanko, and it was so much fun getting fun. to uh, cheer and crew and see everyone and see so many friends just out there crushing their own chuckanut dreams too from the very, I mean, there are almost 500 people in the race and there's early starters who need that extra hour to get it done. It's, it's phenomenal. So put it on your list. If you have not chuckanut 50 K the race was fast, fast and furious again. Like I was at the, the 40 K mark and I didn't know who was going to win. On the, the men's men side, the okay, for the it. men for sure, and the women were cl- like the women. I was like, "Oh, cat is chasing cat." Drew Canadian cat mm-hmm. Drew. Um, so there was there were passes in the last like mile of the race. Yeah, um, I talked to Adam Mary, and he like um, at the gym Adam the other Mary. Day, Dad's he race. caught Seth the last on the towpath on the flat, like the I think in the last mile a mile to go. And so they, they were, were all so stoked for each other. Mm-hmm. Like that was the coolest part was that they were so incredibly thrilled for one another. Um, so yeah, Adam Mary took the win. Dad strength has a newborn at home. right? Yeah. So, so I think he course, was like the top three times. Yeah. So they, they keep trying to figure out who are the top 20 times of all time. That's what they like to track, but they've had course changes over the years. Keely, yeah. you've probably run several iterations of it, both like going down the fragrance, like single track versus going down the fragrance, like road. Uh, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. And I then this year and last year, um, have been the same. Okay. So Adam Mary's time is still really, really fast, but a bridge fell or not a bridge, a tree fell during the pandemic on this bridge. And there's a salmon restoration in this Creek. And so runners can't run through the Creek. So we run around this little trail now, which is definitely faster. I don't okay. think it's nine minutes faster or however much faster Adam Mary ran than both Max King, who has the other really fast time and Adam Mary, but stupid, stupid fast still. And then Seth ruling was like 90 seconds back in second. Um, he was injured. He was supposed to race formidable. Um, but then backed at a formidable due to like a niggle and came here and ran so, so well. And then Chris Brown caught Eric LaPuma in like the final little bit. And they were all like staying together and traveling together. Um, so Chris Brown took third, which is amazing. And then Eric LaPuma came from out from the East coast. He's getting ready for Canyons hundred K um, was fourth. And then Mario Mendoza looked really good and like charged hard as well. Um, finishing just kind of like off connection with that group back in fifth. And he then the was super happy with that. Oh yeah. He were, was really happy. Yeah. He was they did such a good, it was such a good race for those. I mean, for many, many people, but for those five guys, it Talk was about dad strength. Mario's like yeah, a dad of three. Yeah. yeah. Mario and Adam. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, really, really, really cool to see that. And then on the women's side, Claire Gallagher, 
so fast, so happy. Like what a gem of a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her. She's just like silent. And then every time she goes to race, she just like crushes. Didn't it. even see awesome. her at the start line. We we're all like, is Claire here? And then I saw her at station one and I was like, Oh, Claire is here. Um, <laughs> And she was kind of behind uh, Devin Yanko was at the front at that point, feeling really good on the tow path before the climbing started. Um, Claire was kind of in this big chase pack of women, including Michelle Bunky from Portland was in that group as well. Um, so Claire moved up after the 12 mile mark. Um, I think Devin led all the way to $2 and then um, Claire uh, moved up at that point along with Kat Drew. And so Claire Gallagher technically finished in the second fastest time because she mm-hmm. edged out Keely by like 10 seconds. <laughs> and I would argue no, that this course, <laughs> this course, I think, is faster than the one you ran on Keely. And then iterations, but at the same time, any race that came down the fragrance like road, it's like hard to know like that versus the single track. And also like the They're conditions. Just like, if oh, this was, this was prime. This was prime conditions. conditions. I, I was it so was, jealous. <laughs> it was really, I've run it in pretty good conditions in 20, in 2016 when Keely and I, our first, my that first 50K first, yeah. mm-hmm. at Chuckanut. That we had really good conditions that year. And then the next year it was horrendous mud. So yeah. can't win them all. The year I did it was like, I'd say a mixture of those two. It was like pretty, or the second time I did it was like pretty muddy, but not yeah. as bad as, as that. Yeah. yeah. So Claire, t- t- second fastest time ever. You know who still has that record? Jody Adams years Moore. Ago? I know. Jody Adams Moore. She's I really want to break four so badly on that course. That's my only reason to go back. <laughs> let's let's get a, t- a squad out there. I don't know if it's possible to be let's honest. Let's get a squad it's a really out there. Fun goal. Jody, <laughs> Jody of 2010 to 2013. That's a really fast Jody Adams Moore. Even like 2016, where she, mm-hmm. I think Western States in 2016 was kind of the the last hurrah for her in a, in a unofficial capacity. She mm-hmm. got a golden ticket at, she won Gorge hundred K that year ah. to get her ticket into Western States. And I had a really hard Western States, but obviously a total, total badass. And then, um, Kat drew it's her seventh running. Know, this race, you guys. So crazy. <laughs> um, and, and PR she ran four ten. Um, oh, she's won this race before. Um, you know, but like the times have just gotten so, 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 so good. Um, so yeah, PR for her, 4.10, just finishing about three minutes behind Claire. And then Andrea Lee, who's a Canadian athlete, and this was her 50K debut, um, mm-hmm. finished in third. She looked really solid, just like ran a great race. Um, mm-hmm. Caitlin Steen, local gal, mm-hmm. um, nice. local Bellingham gal, uh, PR'd by 10 minutes. Yeah, take four. Say, that's a good run for her. She didn't go out crazy hard. She ran nice. a very smart first <laughs> 40k or 30k and then like pushed and that was nice. obviously the way to go and then Devin yep. Yanko having kind of a hard day still was fifth first master and still I mean fifth in like 426 and I think when she ran this race 10 years ago she was second in like 424 and she's like yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm only two minutes slower than 10 years ago I didn't <laughs> feel good so I was like that's that's a pretty good highlight Devin so yeah really really cool racing on both the men's and women's side this weekend mm-hmm. or last weekend um, I don't know anything about the Eco Trails Paris, but mm. because Katie Scheid is coming over to race Western States She's in doing June, some flatter stuff. <laughs> doing some flatter, faster stuff. And mm-hmm. um, anyone who can run a 623 80k, which is a 50 miler, mm. that's some leg speed right now. Katie mm-hmm. Scheid has some leg speed. Um, I think it was a very, very flat runnable course. It's like her, she took a photo of her watch and it was like six hours and 15 minutes of running seven minutes of walking or something. <laughs> so yeah, fifth overall at that race. Um, cool. wow. I'm really excited to see her at Western States. 
Yeah. She's coming over to the States in May, I think. So we should see her running around her old stomping grounds soon. <laughs> and then um, the last bit of results is the Barkley Marathons started under the cover of secrecy, finished less <laughs> secret than when they started per usual. Um, but since they haven't had a finisher in six years, um, they had really great weather and three men finished, um, which is not the first time that's happened. It's the second yeah. time it's happened. Mm-hmm. 2012 had three finishers as well. Um, but that was Aurelian Sanchez, John Kelly for his second ever finish. And then Carl Sabe um, finished as well. Damian Hall had to turn around in lap five after getting really lost and tired and <laughs> uh, came back with zero pages collected. And then um, huge, 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 huge shout out to Jasmine Paris who got her second fun run. She collected nine of 13 books on lap four, which is the furthest a woman's ever gotten into the race. Um, I think one other woman has gotten to loop four and has collected two pages. Um, so Jasmine Paris is looking good to be a, maybe the first ever female mm-hmm. finisher at the Barkley yeah. marathons. Super freaking cool. Amazing. So bravo to that trio. <clears throat> how many, uh, how many texts did you guys get from people who are on the peripheral of trail running? Who are, who are like, not runners. Are you doing Barkley marathons? <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to do Barkley marathons, right? Um, I have, but they're people who are not on the periphery. They're people yeah. who are in our sport oh, wow. and highly Got invested. It. And they're like, so come okay. in Barkley marathons, <laughs> which is more scary. I think than like my mom or like yeah, my in-laws sure. or something, yeah, right? Like people who actually know the sport are telling you to do it. You're like, shoot, do I need to start training for this? You're like, do I actually have to apply? Nobody um, in the sport tells me that. They know I'm too awkward and uncoordinated <laughs> to do Barkley. <laughs> people think that I think they know that I'm crazy enough to try it. So I I don't know. I don't yeah, think I want Stu- to just stubborn enough, I think. I think you have to be very stubborn and really hate or really like bad weather. And yeah do really well with sleep deprivation. And then also it's not like straight up orienteering, right? You're not like setting tangents or like, like you're not like having to take measurements to run off of, but it's like, you have to be able to be like, okay, I saw this clockwise and now I'm running it counterclockwise and now it's dark outside. And this is the same rock I saw 40 hours ago <laughs> and not get super mega lost. So yeah, someday, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Who, who knows? Um, I won't be able to tell you if it's the case since it's all secret, um, but we should do some news before we get into the meat and potatoes. Um, the news being, um, Keely, I think you plopped this in here, right? The trail runner mag article, which yeah. is based off of a scientific journal article that came out in early March, David Roach hopped right on it and wrote a great little piece for trail runner mag. And it's, it's kind of re-highlighting, um, the science and the newer science around low energy availability and kind of just like the importance, like just like the the negative consequences, right? The short-term positive consequences, the long-term negative consequences of being in kind of an LEA state. And I'm wondering, Keely, if you've had a chance to look over the actual research paper and have anything to kind of add, add to David's piece, et cetera. Oh yeah. I've read it a couple of times now. Um, (laughs) And I think it's, it's very well written, but I think what makes it unique and why I think he did jump on it so quickly is that they're actually looking at <clears throat> direct and indirect performance parameters mm-hmm. based off of LEA. And so most of the other reviews are looking more at like health parameters. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like they're relatively correlated, but looking at performance is way more nuanced. And I yeah. think why this article is important is because a lot of people will advocate for 
intermittent low energy availability in order to increase performance. So I think this article aimed to like, you know, actually give a concrete opinion around if that's even valid or if there are more negatives around short-term low energy availability as well. Um, yeah. Cause you'd think like coaches and athletes and people would be like, Oh, I can get away with this for a little mm-hmm. bit and get a performance bump. But the reality exactly. does not seem like it that's why we that want to understand the reality yep. of it. Exactly. And so what they did was they, they did a big systematic review of a lot of the literature out there, a lot being, you know, not a crazy amount because there's not a ton of research in this space. Um, but they broke the cohorts into short-term low energy, medium-term low energy and long-term low energy. And short-term was like a little, basically a range of days to short amount of weeks, whereas long was like months to years. Mm. Um, and then they also broke it into direct performance impacts. So stuff like VO2 max, like pay threshold, like direct performance um, correlates. And then they had indirect, which was stuff like increased injury risk, reduced adaptation to training, sleep disturbances, stuff that like are not directly related to us to training, but that could impact them. Um, and, you know, I think they did find some pretty interesting takeaways. I think that it was written in a really cool way because they they do acknowledge that short-term low energy when in a very controlled setting is not always bad. And mm-hmm. I think just being able to admit that and not, you know, slanting the paper against every single thing, low energy is, is really smart and gives them a lot of credibility. Um, but it, it did have some common themes around the negatives around it as well. Um, the one thing that I found the most interesting was that from short-term, medium-term, and long-term low energy across all of those different timeframes, athletes are, are all able to perceive the feelings associated with low energy. So the athletes are all aware of feeling more irritable, of not getting enough sleep, of feeling depressed in a depressed state of feeling unmotivated to get out the door. Um, and I think that is like something that is really important to us as coaches, because if we can get that trust built with our athletes and they're able to start telling us these things and we can start looking at their trends over time, we might be able to interact with them and intervene before they start having a full-blown low energy availability um, episode that then results in like red S or something, which I think is really cool. Um, And then, you know, the article also just touches on some of the things that we do know happens with low energy So, you know, if you're not eating enough carbohydrates, you're not going to have as much muscle glycogen, which could impact your performance. Um, They also show that, you know, when you're having that low energy state, you're going to have increased bone resorption. So you're going to have less bone building or remodeling, which obviously could lead to something like a stress fracture. Um, And then it also kind of touches on how a lot of people in this low energy state, whether it's short term, medium term, long term if they do have the hormonal changes and those bone resorption changes, it may increase their injury, which they have shown that, you know, more injuries means less training time, which could mean less performance. And so I think it was really cool article. I highly recommend people to read it. And if you're not into reading scientific articles, read the trail runner mag article. I think it was well-written, very funny. Um, David always puts a funny slant on it. And so highly recommend reading, but open or interested in your guys' thoughts around it from a coach perspective. I think it's interesting. And I think it's important that nuance of like, that's why a discussion section is really important in any research article, right? Because I think it's, it allows you to like highlight this like potential uh, gray zone okayness to something while also being like, Hey, but use abundant caution. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that is like, and I think for many, many people, 
that controlled version of LEA is never going to be a good idea, be yeah. it due to ED histories or, um, I mean, with surveys that have been done within the alternating space, even if people don't have disordered eating, a lot of us have a predilection towards it um, just due to like personality type, et cetera. And so I think for most people, that's probably not going to reap any sort of reward um, and could have real, real, like real negative consequences from like a, a health standpoint. And again, this is like threading that needle of performance. Yep. Um, but that's still kind of that big ca- caveat. And I think David does a good job of saying like, okay, like everyone still needs to eat enough always. Yeah. And I like, support that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, they were looking at nine studies in that mm-hmm. short term and then 11 or 13 in the medium term. And some of those studies included non-athletes, yeah. right. As like weight loss controls. And so I'd say like tread super cautiously to your point, because mm-hmm. there's just not enough data out there. Agreed. Okay. The other piece of news, which I think was sent over into our DMs a whole bunch of times, um, was a, about a race over in New Zealand. And it says prize money row in South Island ultra race ignites international debate. And I just like stole, I stole, I borrowed, I borrowed a little quote from the article. And it says basically the, the race posted a, a prize purse um, of $10,000 for the first person to break the eight hour mark in the hundred kilometer South Island ultra race. They hoped it would generate buzz. And let's just say it generated buzz, but probably not the kind they wanted um, both like internationally and, and locally. And I think this was kind of this debate between like, you know, is alternating the great equalizer between the sexes versus because, you know, women will like win ultras outright, but like, is that the, the large, the large body of, people responding to this, you know, are like, this obviously favors male athletes. Um, and just kind of like, I'm, I'm curious to kind of know, like if either one of you had like an initial reaction to the article versus like reading into it a little bit more. Um, but I thought it was like a very, uh, I understand the pushback on it, mm-hmm. but it's definitely like I rode, I rode the roller coaster while reading the article. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I do, I do get the pushback for sure, because if I think about different I mean, yes, I do think that ultra running can be, maybe there are more markers for women to be able to run longer, right? But I still mm-hmm. think that performance differences, it's it's not the same. And I think there's, I mean, there are there are there are differences and sex differences between kind of performance markers. So I I I do get that. I, I would like to see kind of like a different, like a different barrier for um like an eight-hour mark made for men and a different mark for for women kind of in that or it's like a course record for either group right (laughs) or whatever it is it's just like I think when you incentivize it yeah that brings I think their argument was like well the women's winning time and the men's winning time it's really close it's really close but it's like who's gone to the race well how about this the first like if it's winning that way like what about the first man to break it eight hours the first woman to break eight hours if it's that close right you know yeah. For or, sure. or yeah. split it to 5k and it's 5k yeah. for either person that breaks eight hours. But I think that's like, cause their argument is like, well, it's only a 1% difference. So it could be yeah. either. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you're incentivizing, if I saw a 10k race purse as, you know, as any athlete, I'd be like, hmm, interesting. Maybe, maybe I can go do that. <laughs> maybe I want to be there. And so all of a sudden you elevate <laughs> the whole field, which I think if you elevate the field and say all of a sudden 10 competitive men and 10 competitive women show up, the likelihood oh, yeah. is that a guy is going to be the one to get <laughs> The prize purse at the end of the day. Not if we show up. It says first person too. It says first person. So it'd be like the winner of the race and the first person to break eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's a tough spot because clearly they were 
in good faith, you know, at yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. They, they were, were trying. Really well intended. Yeah. And it's sad that the backlash had to happen, I think, but it's also necessary. Yeah. Um, well, I just think it's important to think about it. And I think a lot of us live in really safe bubbles in which like we live privileged existences. We're in smaller bodies. We're white. You know, I'm like in our little group, you know, we're, we're white women, you know, that that comes with privileges. It also comes with things where it's like the three of us are much more cognizant about certain things than our white male counterparts. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I think sometimes people are surprised that someone doesn't see something or get something. And it's like, they've never mm -hmm. had to question right. anything before. Yep. You don't they've never had to look, they've never, it's never occurred to them that this might be an issue versus we saw this and we're like, Oh, Hey, like, excuse me. And so I think, and female athletes who saw it said the same thing. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's that difference there a little bit yeah. is there's that balance between there are people who just are, are more fortunate than others who haven't ever had to be pushed yeah, they, they're willing to make the change as soon as you present it to them, but they just don't know it exists. They don't know exactly. it's an option. Yep. So yeah, that's really well said. It's like you don't know what you don't know, and so it's 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 a learning opportunity for them. Yeah. So I think they were surprised, but I don't think they were they. I don't think they were like we're going to firmly hold our ground and say you're wrong either. So yeah. I think that was kind of a good move on on their end. But we'll kind of keep following it as that story evolves. So thank you to sending that into our DMs. That was really cool to read because it had not come across my like. Uh, news feed otherwise. Um, before jumping into the meat and potatoes, we have to give a shout out to our other amazing sponsor. That is the feed. I need to put together my March box and have it sent to me because I am out of waffles and I need some badly. I could have used one the other day when I was running to the airport. Um, and so you too can put together a feed box. You're going to go over to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. There, you can put in some information to get a $15 credit. Um, this is a quarterly credit, $60 over the course of the year. And with orders, you can get our new water bottles. Keely, is your water bottle near you? Oh, it's not. I know, I don't have one either. But I've been getting photos I of it. I had it on my bike, though, this week. So I, want, I want all your photos and I should reshare all your photos on the interwebs. Um, so yeah, show us your Trust Society bottles. They are really, really cool. Um, and again, you can get those over at thefeed.com slash trail society. Anyone get anything exciting this month that they're really jazzed on? Ooh. Some I different chose... flavors of some recovery things mm. from Swiss RX. It's been nice Love to switch it, it up. Mm -hmm. Some I actually got taste better with athletic greens than others. Yeah. You got waffles. I did. I got Yummy. waffles. You caved. You I caved did. to my demands. Yeah. Love it. Big fan. Really love great it, second it. breakfast if you're like running at 11 or something. Mm, yeah. You throw that in the toaster real quick. Mm, <laughs> love it. Okay. <laughs> so we have to jump into the meat and potatoes. It is with our good friend, Will. He's part of the Free Trail Experts community. I think we're just going to get right out of the way because he does a phenomenal job of introducing himself. So without further ado, enjoy our interview uh, with our friend, Will, who is a holistic uh, nutritionist. Hey, everybody. Um, as Corinne mentioned, my name is Will, and yes, I am a nutritionist, and I, I work with um, athletes of all sorts, but in particular runners, um, and increasingly so trail runners, especially as I am a, uh, a new FAM member of Free Trail via Free Trail Experts. Um, so yeah, super excited to join the pod. Um, kind of one of those uh, longtime listeners and first-time uh, joiners. 
uh, for for this podcast and super excited to be here with you all. I am a certified nutritionist um, and got my master's degree uh, from a medical um, university basically here in Portland, the National University of Natural Medicine uh, in 2017. So bringing with me somewhat, what, six to seven-ish years of um, experience here and um, have been working with um, individuals for, yeah, six plus years, my own um, business and and just just love it. So bringing bring in what I think is a fair amount of experience, some higher education to uh, to this important field. Um, a lot of people have a lot of questions. There's a lot of noise out there when it comes to nutrition. Yes. Um, what's best for individuals? Often people telling people what's best for everyone. Um, so yes, bringing uh, what I think is that expertise, but then also just the experience of basically personalizing it for people. First thing we wanted to dive into as coaches and runners, obviously we are big fans of athletes building out their teams. You know, your coach probably shouldn't be your everything. Um, so why, from your perspective, would running would working with someone specifically on the nutrition front be a win for athletes? As I mentioned, I think um one of the first things to think about is really kind of sifting through the noise. I mean, there's a lot of um information out there, right? There's there's for a long time now, there's been a lot of information just readily available via search engines, right? Um, you can search anything and, and find, you know, 50 plus results and articles and videos to watch. And increasingly um, via social media, there's also a lot of um, followers um, or a lot of influences rather that people are following, uh, a lot of favorite um, uh, people or our podcasts or blogs or what have you that people are getting so much information from. And that's just it. There's so much information out there where I think a huge benefit to bringing someone uh, like a nutritionist or dietitian onto your team is really sifting through all that noise because there is going to be a lot of information. That's what I mean by noise. Just so much information that is available for consumption these days. Um, and there's just there's just more and more coming. It's kind of like never really stopping. Um, so I think a huge benefit to having someone come onto your team is to kind of be the person to be like, okay, here's what you need to focus on right now. Here's what you need to focus on for your goals based on your, uh, whatever those goals may be, based on your health history, et cetera. Um, and you not really having to worry about um, basically consuming all of that and either not knowing what to apply or applying at all. I think both of those things um, can kind of be uh, a hindrance to success or progress. Um, and then I think a couple more things when it comes to bringing on a nutrition professional is uh, something else that I mentioned, which is personalization or individualization. Um, someone who's not going to basically just kind of, you know, lay out a cookie cutter kind of plan for, for everyone or, um, you know, approach you as if you were the same as basically everyone else. Oh, you're a runner. Okay. I'm going to just, uh, work with you because I, I work with runners. I just, I just know runners and I'm going to treat you like every other runner. Um, whereas a lot of kind of plans or, um, you know, general information, even if it's coming from a person, not just like a, um, a larger kind of resource or database is still kind of offering generalized information. So I think a great way, um, a great benefit to having someone come onto your team specifically is that they can personalize it for you. And that's kind of keyly what you mentioned, like um, why I take such a holistic approach to this is really kind of seeing the person as a whole and using all the information in basically guiding 
what their nutritional focus should be. And of course, kind of um, making changes along the way as that information, um, you know, kind of is presented or changes just along the, along the course of, you know, my working with an individual. Um, and then lastly, and this is really just kind of speaking to uh, kind of also seeing myself and, and really all nutrition professionals as a coach um, is, is that right. We, we can all use um, I think what, what coaches are, are really um, beautiful at, which is being a, a mentor and a support for people. Um, I think accountability is huge. I think people really benefit from accountability. A lot of people, I, I, I often hear like, I know what to do. I just don't know why I'm not doing it or, or how to do it. Um, and I think a lot of that speaks to people who, yeah, are smart and we all are working with runners. We know runners who are um, just whip smart and love to read and get into the nitty gritty of all this stuff. But for whatever reason, and there's so many reasons, um, they just kind of can't hold themselves accountable or they don't have the support that's really needed to kind of make it all um, kind of stick, you know, to be that glue. So I think that's the other piece of bringing on a nutrition professional, um, just like a coach, really, is just um, offering that accountability and support when, you know, when a, when a person needs it, um, just specifically in this nutrition field. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like coaching, right? It's, it's, uh, it's coaching just a very specific avenue akin to like what I'm going to prescribe to a runner in their training log. Um, and I love that idea of, of noise. Cause I think that's what we hear, um, from like the physiological side too, is like, you know, we're reading runner's world and trail runner mag and I run far and, um, YouTube is like the biggest search engine in the world. Now it's like, people are getting information from everywhere and if we like applied every single thing we read, be it for training, like what type of intervals you should be running or what you should be eating, um, it's too much to sift through for, I think, even the smartest individual. So I uh, I feel that in my soul, I think a little bit. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit too about, you know, are there common misconceptions you hear or see when it comes to um, like, not like what athletes are doing, but like when it comes to working with a nutritionist or a dietitian, um, you know, people might have hesitations, et cetera, to adding that really important team member to their group. Um, yeah, Corinne, sorry, real quick. Um, is that kind of speaking to common errors um, that I'm seeing kind of people? Oh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. No, this is more like, I think people, it's more about hesitations and miss like, how people might misinterpret the field more than anything. Like, Oh, I thought a dietitian or a nutritionist did this and actually like are surprised to hear that you focus on like this broader spectrum of things, et cetera. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I'll try to speak to it and hopefully um, it works. And otherwise, otherwise we'll just keep kind of like coming at it from different angles. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a great question, Corinne. I think um, one of the things that I, 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 <laughs> I hear from people who I'm working with, um, or I just kind of ask this question, to, you know, to myself upon reflection, um, is that like, I am a nutritionist and I focus on food, rightly so, that's that's the field. Um, but I'm often talking to people about other things outside of food. Um, and and kind of uh, like Keely mentioned, I think it's just because of this holistic approach, this, this respect for kind of treating the whole body or really trying to understand the whole body and actually kind of offering any sort of suggestion. So I'm, I'm, you know, finding that people are surprised, but I think in, a, in the best way, when I'm talking so much about sleep, 
for example, or when I'm talking um, with people about just their their stress. You know, I have people in my intake form um, basically score their stress like at home, at work, family, um, school, work, that, you know, anything. Um, and I try to get a full picture of where people's um, life is with regard to stress and stress management. And there's just also their, their whole lifestyle, because I think all of it um, plays into the choices people make around food and nutrition, not even just so much the types of foods that they eat, but also how they're eating, why they're skipping meals, um, why they care so much about their goals, but this is just not able to become a focus for them or it's taken so long to become a focus for them. Um, I think the only way to really understand all that is to really ask all those other kind of what seems like outside questions for nutritionists, but really um, to, to, I think, be effective in the way that I want to be effective for them. Um, it allows me to, to really, speaking to individualization, it allows me to personalize my support for them by just knowing as much as I can about that person. Yeah, it's important, I think, to recognize that everything is interconnected, right? Like, I think that is, it's easy to like try to put you in a box or try to put, you know, run coaching in a box or strength coaching in a box or mental skills coaching in a box. And it turns out this is, this whole thing is all interconnected. Yeah. I, I think for me, like thinking about myself as a, as a runner and I don't have a coach at the moment, but one of the things I, I love about having a coach is, um, is that coach getting to know me and getting to know why maybe I, I would, I would, you know, cut a workout short or, um, if I didn't sleep well, like they would ask me, like if, it, if a workout didn't go well, like, uh, Oh, Oh, is it because like, like, how'd you sleep that the night before, you know? Um, and I think just learning that these questions matter and that, oh, right, just because, you know, if I get outside that that box of training, there are other things to consider with regards to, um, you know, the success within that box. Um, and, and like I said, it's all it's all intertwined. Let's talk about what it looks like if someone was to approach you. I've approached you. I've worked with you in the past, although I was probably like your least compliant athlete ever. I'd like just randomly completely fall off the grid because life was beyond chaotic at that point in time. But like, what does it look like? You know, I think that's the hesitation too to work with a coach, to work with anyone is like, what are people getting themselves into can feel really intimidating, that unknown. So if someone was to approach you, you know, via something like free trail experts, what does that process look like as far as like consultation to like jumping in and like starting to move forward together? Yeah, that's a great question. And Corinne, real quick, I mean, come on, you were super busy and <laughs> like working on like your second book or or something like that. But look how much uh, water I'm drinking right now. Aren't you proud of me? <laughs> I'm, I'm so proud. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, so what it looks like when people um, uh, approach me, they're ready to get going. And that's actually something I often um, want to ask people or learn to ask people is, is, are you ready for this? Is, are you actually ready to, um, and I don't want to scare people, right? But I do want to get a sense of, are they committed to the work this is going to take? Because it is important, right? We're, we're establishing um, uh, a, a relationship, really, and, and building that relationship. And it takes energy to do that. So I want to make sure that they have um, the capacity, not just in their schedule, but just in their um it, it, almost like in their soul, really, to kind of take this on. Um, and then beyond that, once we get on the same page about what all that looks like and we feel good about moving forward, then there are just those nitty gritty details. Like, yeah, as I mentioned, filling out an intake form, which is really um, a, a really helpful tool for me to 
kind of jump jumpstart the conversation of um, getting to learn more relevant information, you know, about someone coming forward and, and working with me. And then, um, and then we have the initial consultation um, shortly thereafter. And that, what I like to call, is just a deep dive conversation. It's I try not to be super prescriptive about it. And it's really, I mean, yeah, we're going to cover the intake form. There are things I need to cover, but I like to let the conversation go where it kind of goes. And often I realize I, I went like two topic points in and we're like 40 minutes into the conversation just because there was just so much to unpack and it was just so organic. And often that's where I kind of learn the most about people. Um, so that really is just that deep dive conversation where um, I'm going to walk out of that conversation, that consultation. Um, just with a so like just a great understanding. That's my goal, at least a great understanding of this person that I'm going to be supporting. Um, and of course, I can't learn everything about a person in you know one hour or thirty minutes. Um, but I'm going to do my darndest to learn as much as I can to at least get us going in the process of working together. Meanwhile, while all that's kind of getting scheduled or in this early phase, people are keeping a food log. Um, I like to describe the food logging process as basically when you go to a new doctor and even if you just got blood work done like a month ago, they're basically going to make you get blood work done again because it's a new clinic or it's a new doctor and they're looking at new things. They have a different lab. Um, that's them getting their baseline that they need to get. And the food log is basically a dietitian or nutritionist baseline that they need to get. So that is a really important part of me understanding um, the person I'm working with uh, current nutrition and food patterns is that food log. So that is definitely almost, and I can get into why almost, but that is um, almost um, kind of a guaranteed part of the process is keeping that food log. Okay. So and just then, cal calm me down for one second though, because when I do food logs, I'm like a, I'm not a horrible snacker. I love snacking. I, I, there's no guilt associated with this. I'm just a snacker. Talk about when like someone needs to fill out one of these nutritional logs and they're like, oh crap, was that six gummy bears or eight gummy bears <laughs> that I just like threw into my face as I was like running out the door to like get the dog outside? Like, how yeah. does that look as far as like, do you feel like you get like a really like good picture of what people are doing day to day as, a far, as, a, as opposed to like the perfectionists that can come out in these things? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because it's it actually speaks to one of the difficulties around um, getting a food log from people is, and I guess there are multiple things to consider here. It's like, you know, when you ask this of someone, are you getting what they want you to see? You know, um, are you making them freak out, you know, without them really telling you that they're freaking out and they, um, because of that, they're stress eating or they're not eating certain things uh, or they are eating certain things that they didn't eat in the last six months or, or more. Um, so that is also something that I try to bring up too. And basically how I kind of summarize that is be honest with this process. I want to see you no judgment, full stop. Like, however you've been eating for the last, you know, um, month, two months, like however long you've kind of been in the basic, whatever you would describe as your current eating patterns. That's what I want to see. Um, and of course, even with that and, and kind of hopefully kind of allaying some, some fears or trepidation around this process, I have to expect that people are going to make some changes in what they're going to present to me. And, and to be honest, I don't think that there's any way around that except for if I said, hey, tell me what you ate for the last five days. But if I did that, 
people aren't going to remember what they ate for the last five days. I often find people don't really remember the details of yesterday. Um, so I need to go about it this way. And then I just kind of basically um, am aware and talk through what may have been missed. So often when I get a food log from someone, um, one of the questions I'll ask is, okay, this is great. Excellent job. Love this. Maybe I'll have some other questions in there. But then what I ask is, um, is there anything that in these, you know, four days, five days, six days, however long it is, um, that isn't here that you would say you normally eat? Um, and then often I find people are like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I usually snack on this or I usually have that dessert, but I haven't been. Um, and then people kind of open up about what may be missing. But other than that honest conversation, Corinne, it's, yeah, one of those things that's kind of tricky, but we do our best. It almost seems like you're, you should just assume that it's like the best case scenario of their, their eating habits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People are, are, you know, people want to get an A plus at all times and, and uh, kind of do their best with this and, and show off and be good kind of right away. So um, yeah, I, I just try to make sure that, like I said, people are, are being honest with the process and, um, and uh, yeah, we're just kind of, kind of talk talk through what needs to be talked through after that point. Diving a little deeper into those food logs, um, especially targeting, you know, endurance athletes as that's our bigger viewership. And that's kind of what we all do. Um, when you're taking a look at those initial food logs, I'm wondering if you're seeing commonalities between them, if there's things that are glaringly obvious that a lot of endurance athletes are doing wrong that you've found to be kind of consistent across athletes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pause here. Let me think about that one. That's a good one. Specific to endurance athletes. Like not drinking any water ever and only drinking coffee. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's actually one of the, I wouldn't say only drinking coffee, but definitely the water piece. But yeah, um, well, you've, this is Hillary. You've, you've helped me with that as well. of like drinking water too. So that's, yeah, that's another one. But I mean, also it's like, we just talked about like the whole issue of, you know, it's a hard process. It can be a hard process for people like writing this down and not feeling judged. It's like that question is also, it's maybe not doing wrong, but like something that people can improve upon, I think is maybe like a yeah. better way to totally. Like, like what, what are the common things that endurance athletes broadly could improve upon based on what, what you've seen? Yeah. Okay. No one's, no one's, no one's in the wrong. We just could do better. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question, Keely. Um, I, I can think of, of two things kind of right off the bat. Um, one of them, I feel like, um, there are probably going to be some, some nodding heads here, um, which is on hydration. Um, and yeah, in particular, and I think this kind of speaks to people in general, not just endurance athletes, but, but surely endurance athletes are somewhat maybe more, um, cooperative in the fact that they need more of this, which is water. Um, they, they need more water intake. And what I was uh, kind of alluding to before is that often most people are kind of walking around, um, a, a bit dehydrated, if not, you know, very dehydrated, um, and endurance athletes are people in, in the end, and, um, they are uh, just as susceptible to not drinking enough enough uh, water or eating the right kind of hydrating foods, for example. Um, but the problem with that for endurance athletes in particular is that they need more of that. They need to be um, kind of focusing on, on, on hydration even more so um, because they're kind of doing some, some, 
you know, uh, not just arduous tasks in their sport, but but especially for, you know, uh, uh, trail runners or mountain runners, sometimes dangerous tasks. And it's really important that that they're kind of firing on all cylinders as much and as long as possible. And hydration is just one of those really key areas that allows you to do that. And yeah, what I often see in a food log, for example, is um, it can be a mix of things. It can be that people aren't getting in enough water kind of throughout their day in general, right? Um, but then often uh, in, a, in addition to, or instead of that, um, they might be getting, you know, enough water throughout their day, but I'm seeing like, you know, it might be mostly in the morning um, and mostly at night and kind of like nothing in between or barely anything in between. And one of the biggest excuses I hear, uh, I don't wanna say excuse, but one of the biggest reasons I hear um, is that, you know, they're just busy with work, right? They're busy with meetings, busy with work, kind of running around. They're not really thinking about it. They don't have time to go to the bathroom during the day. Um, and so they kind of catch up at nighttime, um, which isn't a huge flaw, but then what that can do is um, potentially dehydrate the body faster. If you're drinking a ton of water in a really short amount of time, you can actually um, not be really hydrating the cells as appropriately as you, as you might think. So it might not be as effective of a strategy, but then also it can potentially, if it's close to bedtime, not really be helping um, get, you know, some good deep sleep. Um, but regardless of the timing of, of hydration, I think that's a big one in general is that people can often um, drink more water. Um, and then the other kind of important part of that equation is um, getting in enough electrolytes and getting in those electrolytes on a on a pretty regular basis. I think a lot of people, um, athletes in particular that I work with, um, you know, they'll say, yeah, I use electrolytes on, on my long days or on my workout days um, and not really other times. And what I have to tell people is, look, you know, you're, you're an endurance athlete, you know, you're, you are pushing the limits on what your body can do. And you're only trying to, to kind of push those limits and boundaries further and further. Um, let's start to work on this now. And, and what I'm trying to get out with people is, you yes need um kind of electrolytes or you know optimal uh, you know nutrition and hydration on those harder days for sure but those other four five six days of the week are just as important you're you know you're still performing on those days you're still stressing out the systems on those days you're still uh trying to recover on those days and all of this is just as important so you still need to be making sure that you know on your easy tuesday you are still drinking enough water and you then you may very well also need electrolytes on those days. Um, so what I try to help people do is kind of get out of the, the mindset that just on their hard days, do they need to be their best? Um, and that the other days it can be kind of okay um, to, to, you know, to kind of um, I don't know, slack a little bit maybe. Um, okay. So that's water and hydration. Again, one of the things I, I, um, uh, uh, kind of see on their on their food log as being an area of focus. Um, the other one may be supplements. Um, in, in the food log, I, I I get people to kind of include their their supplements as a section for that. Um, so it's it's just a, a nice way for me to kind of see um, when and 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 what people are are taking when it comes to supplements, and that often sparks a conversation. Um, and that's not so much a thing that is necessarily bad that people are are supplementing, uh, but it definitely is a conversation starter. You know, why are you using those supplements? What's the reason for the timing? Are you, you know, how are you taking uh, those supplements? Are you taking it along with everything else? Are you taking it with certain other foods or with fats? 
Um, like I said, it's basically a conversation starter around supplements. And that's the reason I include that in their food log for me to kind of get a good understanding of, of people's supplements and then help them basically try to kind of fine tune the process of, of, uh, you know, making sure that their supplements are actually doing anything for them, or at least, you know, being as, as uh, most effective as it can. Awesome. All right. And we'll talk, we'll talk more about supplements in a little bit. That's kind of one of our, we're going to have some audience questions that we've pulled, um, to go over towards the end of this conversation. If we get there, this might, we might, we might, we may never get there. Um, one question kind of building off of that was, you know, do you see any difference in those needs or in those things that are kind of missing between female athletes and male athletes that you've worked with? Um, yes. Um, I would say often, um, what I, what probably one of the biggest differences I see is that protein needs aren't usually being met by, um, female athletes compared to male athletes that I've, that I personally have worked with. Um, I can't really speak to the why, behind that. Um, there are probably multiple, uh, or several whys behind why that may be. Um, I have some, some thoughts, you know, I think that the, the protein industry as it kind of came on really strong, but I don't know, um, two, three decades ago, um, definitely, I think the, um, kind of leaned toward and, and kind of, um, focus on the, on, on the kind of the male population a little bit more. Um, but, as, as I've learned as kind of the, the larger kind of nutrition conversation is, is showing us um, is that uh, female athletes need this protein um, just as much and, and often not necessarily more than male athletes, but just more than they are generally getting. Um, and again, I can't speak to kind of larger why the conversation uh, hasn't really been supporting that fact, um, but it is something that I'm seeing in these food logs, in these, you know, uh, athletes coming to me is that their protein needs often aren't being met. And when we're addressing that, um, the, the outcomes and, and kind of the effectiveness of, of these female athletes increasing their, their protein needs, uh, becomes pretty apparent rather quickly. Um, whether that is feeling more recovered, um, sleeping better, um, sometimes there's a body compositional component to that. I just think that the, that, yeah, Protein is definitely something that I'm seeing um, female athletes thinking that they're getting enough of or just not really knowing that they need more. And so there's some education there, but then also, yeah, just really trying to figure out where um, in there in, in an athlete's um, day and meals can we kind of optimize uh, protein there, especially for, for female athletes. That's, that's definitely one of the bigger ones that I see. Are there specific kind of things that are flagged or being missed when you first take on an athlete, when you, when it comes to like during exercise nutrition, I know personally, like I'm really terrible at always practicing my nutrition on long runs, for example. Um, I don't always practice what I preach. And I'm wondering if like, you see that kind of, as you look over a number of days of training with an athlete. Yeah. One of the things I love to do when I'm kind of asking for a food log is to, to make sure I am kind of seeing uh, some good variation of training days for the athlete. So ideally I'm, I'm seeing potentially like a, a workout type of run, like an app pace or threshold or some sort of tempo day. Um, and then also um, ideally their, their long run as well. Um, and that's, and then even more ideally they're, they're the day after their long run. 
Um, so if I can kind of capture all of that, and of course I can capture it all in a week, but sometimes I, our logs are shorter than a week. Um, if I can get those days in the span of time that someone's food logging, that is key for me because it really is important for me to be able to see, um, and not just hear from someone, but actually see it on paper, basically what that person is doing, um, when it comes to their, their pre run fuel, their intra run fuel, you know, that, that, that nutrition that comes in during, and then of course their, um, their, you know, their post run nutritional intake. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that those three areas are super important as I'm working with, um, athletes, you know, it's really, it comes up all the time, right? How can I, um, optimize my recovery or how, to, how can I optimize uh, the, the, my fuel intake or kind of get race ready. And all of that comes down to me understanding, um, you know, what that nutrition looks like pre, during and and, and post run and um, us really kind of basically fine tuning that process, um, fine tuning the, um, the nutrition that, you know, one is, one is taking in the timing of that nutrition is also super critical. So um, some extra details that are super helpful for me is people actually kind of timestamping, if you will, um, and they're just writing it down, but um, kind of timestamping um, what, what the, you know, their, how long before their long run was their, um, was their nutrition or sorry, their, their, their pre-run nutrition intake um, at what point during, during the run, you know, their three, four five hour uh, training run. Um, when did they take those gels or when did they, um, take that bar or, you know, eat that rice ball or whatever the case is, because all of that is super helpful for when someone comes and tells me, oh, you know, I, I was, I was kind of bonking towards the end there, or, um, oh, I, I didn't feel good, you know, at the start or whatever the case is, I need to know, um, the, the timing of what the nutritional intake was, not just what it was, because all of that really plays into what could have been going on. If you see an athlete go for a midday run, do you try to encourage them to eat beforehand? And then what's your kind of go go to um, time frame for post run recovery? Yeah, so if people are running, especially for a midday run, definitely um, I, I would hope that they um, will have eaten uh, breakfast for sure. Um, but depending on when that midday run is. Um, yeah, potentially even a snack afterwards, sometime kind of late after, or sorry, late morning. Um, and maybe even, you know, lunch again, it just kind of depends on when that midday run is, but yeah, they might've had, um, two, two meals there. Of course, that second meal, as it gets closer and closer to that midday run or that run in general, um, maybe smaller or maybe, um, different, you know, might not be as much fat, for example, or as high in protein, um, or, or just, you know, just more carbohydrate. Um, but, uh, I definitely would encourage people to be fueling, uh, for any kind of, um, uh, midday run, um, adequately again, at least one, if not two meals or, you know, one meal, one snack. Um, and then as far as timing goes, it really depends on an individual, um, and, and their system. Some people, you know, if they're, if they're eating kind of too close and that's, that's very subjective, but if they're eating kind of like within an hour to um, a run, it's really not going to work for, for them. They just don't feel, they don't feel good, right? They feel kind of whether it's, it's um, sloshy or heavy or they just get nauseous. Um, uh, so that's something that I want to consider um, in kind of getting the timing right with people. As you're saying it, we can all kind of nod along and acknowledge that 
while we all know this and it seems pretty straightforward, I think there's a lot of people out there that just choose to not fuel. Well, I messed uh, it up today. Lunch, you know, like I messed it up big time today. It's really important. And like doing that compounded over multiple cycles of training, like is where we start getting into issues. Right. Um, and so, yeah, just to kind of circle that all the way through, what do you recommend for like post run recovery in that time frame? Yeah. I mean, ideally people are taking in some, some post, um, post run nutrition kind of right away. Um, I mean, truly, and, and but I, I lump hydration into into that. Um, so what I really try to stress for people is, you know, within within minutes after being kind of done your um, your run, especially any kind of harder effort, you're at least getting your um, hydration back in order. You know, you're drinking your, your water, you're getting your electrolytes back in. Um, that's at least going to kind of jumpstart your recovery process, especially if you can't really take in solids or, you know, much any kind of, um, you know, food intake or caloric intake, um, at least get the hydration piece right. Mm-hmm. When it comes to food though and calories, um, I, it's a bigger window. Um, I try to get people to, to get in their, their nutrition, um, within 30 minutes. Um, maybe it's an hour if needed. Um, but still within that amount of time, again, they're focusing on their hydration. They're getting their electrolytes in If they, you know, it needs to be an hour because they just aren't really able to stomach any kind of, you know, wholesome heavy thing. Then I'm going to focus on liquid, um, liquid calories and, and really just try to get them some, some carbohydrate, maybe some protein in there as well. Um, could it be CAAs and some kind of liquid carbs? Um, maybe it's a protein shake, something like that. Um, but I think ideally like, yeah, within 30 to 45 minutes, and then if it needs to be longer then we're kind of just, you know, nuancing that and, and, um, massaging and, and just kind of working with their reality, but then making sure that when they can eat again, when their stomach feels right, that they're getting all their, all their needs met, um, for the most part in that meal. Yeah. And this dives into like some of the audience questions that we've got, um, on, on tap for you pretty, pretty seamlessly. And the first one that we had, um, was, is there anything special? about recovery nutrition? Like, is there any like thing that, I mean, like we hear a lot about like the, you know, like this, like golden window, et cetera. Is there anything that like people should really be, you know, if they're going to give themselves a gold star for something, like what is that, you know, one thing that, that they should be doing or is it, or is the, the special, like the, the quote unquote, like sparkly special recovery nutrition more just like that, uh, the noise that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, I would say it's not noise. I would say that it would be um, really beneficial for people to, um, from a physiological standpoint, to get in um, some carbohydrate and protein, um, like like I said, within, you know, 30, 45 minutes. Um, you know, we hear of that, uh, you know, three to one ratio, for example, or four to one ratio, like four grams or three grams of carbs per every one gram of protein. Um, and there is a lot of science behind um, the benefits of that um, when it comes to um, kind of basically different kind of recovery markers and inflammatory markers. Um, so there is, uh, you know, that kind of window conversation does exist because there, um, there is science to show that that can be really helpful and worth paying attention to. People respond really well when they are basically optimizing and fine-tuning that post-run, post-workout nutrition plan, basically. Um, they're feeling better um, later on during during the week or the next day. They're uh, mentioning, you know, less, less soreness, um, uh, you know, better recovery in general, whatever that those kind of markers or, or um, 
Yes, objective markers may be. Sleep is often usually better that that night when people are kind of um, optimizing their nutrition early on, or at least paying attention to it early on. But then the other thing is, and this could be maybe even a reason for the whole sleep improving. Um, it's kind of like, you know, why you shouldn't skip breakfast or why most people shouldn't skip breakfast is that if you um, can basically get your post-run nutrition kind of dialed in as early as possible, you're kind of setting yourself up for success for later on and basically avoiding the time, which is almost inevitable if you skip it, um, that you're just going to be super, super hungry, maybe low blood sugar, and then you just want all the carbs or then you start to overeat or, you know, you just get really irritable. Um, there's so many kind of ramifications that can that can come from kind of missing out on that first hour um, when basically after that, like your day happens, right? Your, your other responsibilities kick in. You don't have as much time or energy to focus on your nutrition. And, and then, um, you know, that the attention goes elsewhere. And then, and then, like I said, other kind of effects can happen from that. So I think you set yourself up for success the best way, um, by, by, you know, getting that nutrition in again, 30 to 45 minutes post-workout. Yeah. The hanger is so real. I think when I first started trail and ultra running, I, I never ate breakfast and I would never have post run nutrition probably for at least two hours, but I was always kind of miserable and I was always hungry. Very miserable. <laughs> Not fun, but it's like, it's, you can totally reflect on it after the fact. And now I think I'm really in tune with knowing when I'm hangry and when I'm not, I don't know if you guys have that barometer now, but I can tell like pretty much right away if I messed up my nutrition for the day. <laughs> yeah. I said, I joked earlier that I messed up in a big way today on my run. It's like, I ran like pretty midday and I don't normally run midday and I'm normally like a morning to late morning runner. And oh my goodness, I got so hungry during the run and like hadn't planned to get hungry during the run. Didn't bring any snacks for during the run, like had something at the car for immediately afterwards, but I almost broke Steven. Cause I was like, I went into full ultra mode and was like, if I run this faster, I'll get done sooner. Um, and just was like powering back to the car, um, and didn't tell him it's cause I was being very, very hangry. Um, so don't do that. You're going to run at 11 AM second breakfast. I would say is oh, now mandatory for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or hey that speaks to kind of having something with you just in case maybe yeah, yeah. the oopsie calories were not with me today not at all <laughs> okay so there's another question we got in from an athlete who is talking about struggling to refuel after long and hard runs I think this is going to tie in really well to what you talked about before, but maybe you can also add in what your go-to is. Um, they basically say that they never feel hungry afterwards and often even have an upset stomach, making it really hard to eat. And they want to be able to reap the benefits of the workout, but yet they know they're coming up short because they're unable to replenish those calories right away. So they just want some advice around what you think they should do there. And then, yeah, maybe throw in to what your favorite go-to um, recovery item is. And if it's easily to easy to eat on a sore stomach. Yeah. Um, so for these individuals where, yeah, you see kind of a sensitive system in play here. Um, what my first and, and usually almost only bit of advice is really to kind of start small. Um, instead of really going for like the ideal situation, let's just say that in this case, the ideal is, I don't know, 200 calories. And then you figure out the whole macro that, um, you know, um, macro ratios accordingly. Um, is if that person is really just having an issue with, with getting anything in, let's get the water, let's get some electrolytes in. Um, 
and then can we get can we get half a banana down the hatch you know or can we um can we do some almonds and a rice cake you know like we will just start really small and and just move from there because a lot of this just like you might do going into going into a run and kind of practicing fueling through a training cycle is it just takes practice and you can kind of train the system to be more tolerable um to to kind of what it what it you know what you're asking of it so um i would start small for someone who is um kind of expressing that their system is just super sensitive after mm-hmm. and the other thing is as i mentioned before um liquid calories so whether that is a um again some sort of um sports nutrition product um whether it is like a protein shake um and again if it, they can just sip on it they don't have to down you know 16 20 ounces of a protein shake they can just get in what they can get in and then when they feel good and ready to eat then that's then that's it and then hopefully over time you know after after days weeks months of doing that then they're in a much better position basically progressively through that time when people are are dehydrated um they they're they are basically having a kind of a sensitive system, a sensitive um, kind of reaction to carbohydrate. Um, often people get nauseous when they're dehydrated. So for went into that run dehydrated and you didn't really have a super great hydration plan during that run, um, or it was just super hot or humid or whatever the case is. Um, and then of course you're kind of basically more dehydrated afterwards. I would not be surprised at all if that person is a little bit more maybe not necessarily nauseous, but not really inclined to eat right away um, post-run. So I think that um, not necessarily drinking water right after the run is going to help you eat right away. I think over time, though, the practice of doing this and, and, and optimizing hydration overall can potentially very much support them being able to handle uh, actual calories and carbohydrate after a run. We've mentioned on the podcast that we don't try to get too into the, like the weeds or the details of what we eat day to day. And we just try to really focus on the messaging that eating enough always is really important. But we had this listener write in and they said, I would love to crowdsource some fast and healthy dinner ideas, i.e. adding extra veggies to a frozen pizza. They work full time. They have a toddler. And it seems like the motivation to cook dinner at the end of the day is like at an all time low right now. You yourself are a newer, a newer parent. Um, I'm wondering, you know, speaking to this, this athlete who's trying to fuel themselves, trying to manage a toddler in the process of that, what are some, do you have any tips or tricks for this person or a a good cookbook to send their way? Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I mean, look, whatever, whatever your responsibilities are, it can get hectic, right? Like whether whether you're a new parent or you just started a new job or you potentially just lost a job, right? Like whatever, whatever's kind of going on in everyone's life, life can get hectic, right? That's just the the, the fact of the matter. And then of course we have, you know, listeners here who are also trying to train and do amazing, awesome things on top of, on top of life's, you know, mess. Um, so yeah, it can be really difficult trying to also stay on top of your nutrition. So kudos to that person who kind of wrote in that question and asking this question and kind of, you know, taking, um, taking some, some, uh, extra effort to, to do things right. Um, I think some quick tips, uh, one is, is basically, uh, and this kind of goes to, I didn't speak to this before, um, Keely, you asked about food log kind of common things that I see across the food logs, um, for, for endurance athletes. Something that I often see is people, uh, endurance athletes specifically, are often snacking on carbohydrates all the time, um, and and usually like 
like 80 to 90% when you look at the macro um, ratio, it's like 80 to 90% carbohydrate in, in, in most of those snacks. Um, and, a, and a common slash quick and, and relatively simple, once you get the hang of it, um, swap for people and fix in that whole situation is increasing protein during snacks. And I think that that can go a long way in terms of increasing protein intake in general um, uh, is often just looking at snacks. It's, it's, you know, people for the most part at dinner time are do, do pretty decently with getting in enough protein and the same can be said for breakfast. Lunch is what I'm, from what I generally see, um, kind of up in the air. But when you look at their snacks, it's almost always just carbohydrate. Um, and so if we can kind of optimize those snacks, increase some protein during that time, you're looking at better satiety. You're looking at just meeting, you know, various people's proteins needs a little bit more quickly and readily. Um, and again, it just takes some different ideas. You know, often what I tell people in terms, in terms of snacks is like, okay, instead of, instead of the, I don't know what it might be like toast or half a bagel or goldfish or whatever the case is, or pretzels. Um, let's do some edamame or let's do some, you know, uh, crackers and hummus or make your own kind of bean dip. And let's have that on a tortilla and throw some lean protein on there. Um, and, you know, just really trying to diversify their snack options while making it super tasty. But then when you look at all of it, the, the kind of through line is um, that there's, you know, a good amount of protein coming from all those snacks. Um, and for people who are juggling a lot and super busy and super stressed and potentially not sleeping well, the one thing that their body is going to tell them to basically eat all day is carbohydrate. So you kind of want to hack that a little bit by being aware of that first. And then the second thing is planning around it. Like, okay, you're, you, you're living a busy lifestyle right now. What can you do? Um, you can't really change that. It's your job, it's your family, whatever the case is, but you can plan better snacks. You can plan better nutrition throughout the day. So I think oftentimes focusing on protein a little bit more than you may normally can actually go a long way for some busy folks out there. And, and, and on that vein, when it comes to like plan and prep, I think goes a long way. Like if I plan and prep, I'm better at like eating immediately post run because I've got something that's ready for me for like this person in particular. Do you think something like meal prepping, which can get kind of boring, I guess, but might at least meet their needs would be like one of the best ways to tackle the like the busy demotivated food situation at the end of the day? Yeah, for sure. Because what, what you can do with meal prepping is you don't have to meal prep, you know, the same thing for the whole week. You can also just kind of choose a day, like your light day of the week. You know, often people do it on Sunday, but if that's like a family day, then you can just kind of choose any other lighter day of the week and just prep your lunches, right? Or prep your prep your snacks or prep your dinners um, for the week and keep them in the freezer if you're kind of making, you know, a lot of extras. Um and then, like you said, just just warm it up or have it ready for when you need it in a pinch. And if you're doing kind of freezer meals, then that can last um, a fair a fair bit and you don't have to worry about having it for three days in a row. Um, so that can kind of get a long way in terms of bringing, bringing up the, the monotony. So, yes, it's not the the necessarily the most fun. It's, it's, it's a habit, really. Like you have to build that habit and it just takes some time. But it can be super effective for for a lot of people if that's what they um, if that's what they their lifestyle kind of um, necessitates. Yeah, our households become big fans of the we prep like a ton of breakfast burritos, and it becomes like an easy go to on like busy mornings or like busy like we're heading to the mountain to go skiing or something, and like need need a lot more in the system potentially. I feel like that'd be an easy an easy dinner too to have that 
prepped and ready. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, especially yeah. for, you know, when it's like, oh, I got home late because my meeting ran over and it's seven o'clock and I haven't eaten and I don't feel like cooking. Oh, you know, that breakfast burrito doesn't have to be a breakfast burrito. It'll do the trick. <laughs> you a burrito can be a burrito any time of day. Yep. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, all right. So well, we're looking like we might be a little bit over. Do you have a hard stop? Because we can cut the rest of the questions. I'm good to go for a little longer. I think I think let's do okay. I feel it like let's take really... probably like five minutes past five thirty, so not yeah. very far past. Yeah. I feel like the supplement question and then that question, Keely, that you and I highlighted of kind uh-huh. of like that final question. So just like a broad supplement yep. question. I think, I think those two great. are great. Sweet. Go for it. Okay. And we'll just, you know, and Keely, it won't mess it up if I exit because I do have to go at 6 30. So That's like okay. now I should probably exit. <laughs> so okay. You're good. good. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Well, nice to see you. Sorry. Bye. Okay. <laughs> I'll text you later. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Okay. So we had a couple questions about supplements and we're just going to kind of broad, broad spectrum here, talk about them a little bit. You mentioned them very early on when you were talking about nutritional logs. And so I think in that sense, the the questions about supplements are more like, are there supplements that endurance athletes should be taking when we look at big, like entire nutritional picture? Are there like broad strokes recommendations there versus like, I imagine it has to be like highly individual. Like what is your take as you're sitting down looking at someone's entire nutritional picture when it comes to how do we approach this from a whole foods versus a a supplement standpoint? Yeah. Um, I definitely value supplements. You know, I consider myself like a whole food first kind of, um, practitioner, if you will. Um, but that's not to say that supplements don't have their place. I think when it comes to athletes, um, they not only have a place, but they can, um, really be like a key a key kind of factor in one's nutrition. Um, and it's really because endurance athletes in particular, right, our basic audience here um, are just basically utilizing and expending and um, uh, reducing their, their nutrients uh, on, a, on a much more rapid basis um, than just kind of your general person who is you know, more sedentary or just not really, you know, training for, let's just say six plus hours a week, for example. Um, And so the supplement picture or supplement conversation really does become more um, important to have when it comes to endurance athlete um, level activity. Um, And yes, there are going to be, I think, definitely, you know, situations where um, supplements become really, really helpful, if not almost important for people to consider. Um, so, you know, for example, um, more and more, I'm seeing a lot of people uh, opt or just need to um, reduce dairy or gluten in their diet, for example. Um, and we'll just kind of go off those, those just those two food groups for now. Um, what that is doing, if they're not really, and I'm trying to help them do this, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to help them get other foods in their, in their repertoire and their nutritional intake that's going to make up for those nutrients. But in the meantime, or for whatever reason, it's really difficult for people to do that. That's where something like supplements can come in handy. Um, so we're looking at potentially for some people is a B vitamin complex, you know, something that you should do, um, especially for, um, for, um, athletes who have a menstrual cycle. Um, are you, are you going to benefit from uh, a B complex during, uh, certain phases of your cycle? Are you going to benefit from more magnesium? Um, and that can also magnesium can go across the, across any, um, across the spectrum really, because it is just such a kind of, um, miracle mineral, um, that's, you know, one of our electrolyte minerals, just really important for muscle contraction and, and also recovery. 
Um, so yeah, we're talking about magnesium, B vitamins often. Uh, we talked about protein a number of times already. That's something that, um, as I mentioned, for female athletes who feel like they're getting enough protein or, or you know, all the protein they can eat, they may need a protein boost via protein powder. Um, and it doesn't have to be every single day. It can be, you know, two, three times, two, three days a week. But that is a conversation that that we're often having um, is, you know, what supplements are key and then quality of supplements. And I think that's, that's something that's super crucial is paying attention to um, the quality of supplements. One of the biggest kind of um, uh, mistakes, I'll call it, that that I see you know clients making is I'll mention a supplement or I'll mention that they may need to increase this or we may talk about that. And then boom, they go and get a supplement and it's, you know, something from their local grocery store, or, you know, vitamin shop or something like that. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, the top quality or the thing that I'd recommend the most, or I didn't really fully vet it. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like treating your supplements like your food. You know, if, if you want it to work the best, then it needs to be of, you know, kind of top quality um, and not just like any any vitamin you know, X is going to do the same as every vitamin X. I mean, there is very much a, a quality game here. Yeah. I think important to add that, that, that is because the supplement industry is very like, it's, it's not regulated. And so that's why, like, when we talk, if people who have listened, listened to us regularly, we talk a lot about like safe for sport, um, as like a standard when it comes to like making sure that what you're ingesting is what they say you're ingesting on the label. So it's really important when it comes to supplements. Yeah, definitely. Um, and another supplement that I, I didn't mention um, uh, is is uh, BCAAs um, and then also um, beta alanine. I think those two often come up in the conversation with my endurance athletes um, just because they are so helpful for, and this this is like, I mean, evidence is behind this, but then also just, I, I get this from, from uh, the clients that I work with, like just them, their feedback is how helpful that they notice those two are kind of pretty quickly in terms of um, muscle soreness and improved recovery. Um, and then uh, when um, uh, beta alanine is used, just like that delayed muscle fatigue. Um, so when those two are kind of brought into the um, into the into the mix, I, I can kind of get some pretty quick feedback from people that that is pretty effective for them. Um, and then my female athletes in particular, it's the protein plus BCAAs that tend to be a pretty good dynamic duo for them. Why don't you give us a little glimpse into your tricks that you implement in your own life? Because we know you're a busy dad. You also are an endurance athlete. So what are some of the things that you've put into practice into your own training, whether it's pre-run, during run, or post-run? When it comes to um, pre-exercise, I mean, the, the one thing that I just make sure that I'm doing, whether it's, you know, in prepping for um, uh, a workout and those kind of look differently nowadays with the, with a 13 month old um, or, or long run is, is really just making sure that I'm giving myself enough time for, for that nutrition. Um, That is something that I, it's kind of an absolute bust for me um, is just to make sure, okay, I need to be out the door at this time. Um, that I need to be up at this time so that I can eat by this time. I mean, having that plan really is critical for me. And then also for my own life, like communicating that plan with my partner is really key because I have to hold to that as best as possible. Um, it doesn't always kind of go perfectly to plan, but um, really that that free run nutrition is really important 
for me um, to kind of stick to and, and get dialed in. So if I'm having my morning oats, um, you know, that, that often is kind of what I'm doing for a long run, for example, um, just making sure I time that appropriately is going to be really kind of crucial to how successful I am on that long run, for example. Um, uh, and then when it comes to, to post, um, post workout, post run nutrition is just making sure that I have what I need at home or, or prepped in advance, um, you know, ready for me. So that way there's not really an excuse or not really a need for me to kind of rummage through the pantry and just snack on everything because that has happened where I get home from, you know, I don't know, three hour, three hour plus run. And I had nothing planned and I'm just kind of going through the pantry, eating and snacking as something's kind of being made. Um, so kind of going back to, to meal prepping, um, that's something that can be super helpful for, um, for some, you know, people who are doing their long runs and, uh, you know, having some overnight oats ready in the fridge, for example, can go a long way. It saves you time and you've got like a really wholesome um, kind of meal there ready for you. So for me, it's yeah, having having potentially overnight oats ready, if that's what I'm, you know, kind of wanting that, that uh, after that run, um, I try to always have, um, some quality protein powders in, in the pantry as well. Um, just for when I know, or I'm feeling low or just, you know, know it's been one of those weeks where I just didn't really prioritize protein in the same way. Um, I just have those protein powders for, for when I need it. And then the other thing that I think, um, I always try to really have on hand are those electrolytes. Um, so I always try to have different kind of electrolytes, never really just one. Uh, some of them have carbohydrates, some of them have no carbohydrate. Um, some of them have different amounts of sodium. Um, some of them are just really for during, you know, uh, uh, training. And then others I try to use just generally throughout the day or, or kind of post run, for example. Um, but I think having different kinds of, um, basically hydrating, um, electrolytes can be really helpful. And I mean, it's super critical and helpful for me. So, um, I think those three things are just some, um, yeah, just areas that I really try to fine tune and kind of stick to. There are so many amazing nuggets scattered throughout that entire interview from the beginning, like kind of talking about the noise that is present. I know I feel that as a coach to the personal, like personalization and needs of athletes. I'm wondering if there's anything that really, you know, hit home for you all or stuck, stuck out in your mind when listening to Will kind of walk us through his nutrition beliefs and practices for endurance athletes. I think first and foremost, it's just, um, it's it's almost like we're working with a coach. You have to have someone that you vibe with and that you trust. And I've worked with Will for several years now. And, you know, I recommend my athletes work with him. He's just, he's so personable and knowledgeable and just, he can put things in layman's terms. Um, and with that, I think it's easy to accomplish nutrition goals. If you have someone that you feel is like on your side. So, um, yeah, I mean, we and we only scratched the surface in this in this interview. He's there's so much more that we can talk about. So hopefully, he's a recurring guest. Yeah, I think so. I think we can we can hit him with the hard questions next time. This was just <laughs> kind of introing the idea of like why even add someone to your team, right? Because I think that's the big question that we hear a lot from people, and they think that working with a nutritionist is just for pro athletes, and it's really not. Like it's it's for everyone, and I think a lot of people would benefit from it who don't realize that that's a need that they have. Yeah, and I think his approach is really 
approachable, I guess, because I think he meets you where you're at. And it's not like mm-hmm. he's going to make you do this huge change right away. He kind of made it seem like, hey, you know, if you're someone who can't get anything down after a run, we're going to start with like a really small amount. And we're going to just try to get that teeny little thing down and make it really attainable. And then we'll slowly up, up it from there. And I feel like his approach just seems really awesome. Um, and yeah, so if you guys do want to give him a call and get a one-on-one consult with him, you can head over to freetrail.com and go through the free trail experts tab and you'll find him there at the bottom, Wilfredo Benitez. And you can do a one-time um, nutrition consult. That's going to be like a 60 minute call where you really dive deep into your needs. And then you can follow that up with a monthly consult call um, as well, where you can actually like touch base, see how it's going and be more that athlete coach relationship that we were talking about. Um, and so you can head over to free trail and do it that way. And you can also follow him for some nutrition and baby content on his handle on pace wellness and yeah, give him a follow. We love Will. We'll come back for sure. And we'll probably do a call out like we did this time. So keep an eye on the, the, uh, trail society Instagram account for those kind of question call outs. Um, we were able to answer a bunch of your questions on this um, interview and we're hopeful that we can do more of that in the future. And so to close us out, society slamming. Woo-hoo. What do we have? Who's excited? Who reached out with what? Keely, you had pulled one I can up. Go first. Yeah. yeah. Keely, what do you got? Um so we got a message from the Queensland Trail Queens, first of all. Love that. To your Insta handle. (laughs) Um, And they wanted to share that there is going to be the first known wheelchair trail participants taking part in the Noosa Ultra Trail 30 kilometer race this weekend, which has created an altered 30 kilometer course for this purpose. And it will be by a woman and a man who consider themselves um, the invincible woman and then the real Adam Shepard. Um, who are going to be doing this and just like a really cool call out. I feel like that's an awesome way for a race to be um, available to adaptive athletes and excited to follow along. Yeah. That's really, really awesome. Hillary, what do you have? Yeah. So um, it was really cool. I think posting some keep sliding into our DMS and the trail society, Instagram um, called up society. That is. And um, you, do you, gave us a lot of like nutrition questions, but we also got just a lot of other like comments and questions in general. I love the love that everyone's giving us, but there's a lot actually relating to our episode where we talked about, um, like childcare and at races. And so I just Mm want to just highlight, um, just one comment. Um, there's many, so we'll get to more of them later, but she says, I'm a mom of three, a mom of a three-year-old. Um, and so we, her husband and I wouldn't drop their kid off with just a random caretaker, like at a race. Um, So she'd love it if like these races would maybe host like kid-friendly activities, um, you know, bounce house, like things like this, that the, that the, the husband or the person who's not racing can go and then, you know, um, like, you know, occupy the child with, um, cause it's hard to entertain a kid in the city that's foreign to you, um, and keep them occupied for all these hours in person. So I think this is just interesting. Again, it's like, we talked about different perspectives. Like mm-hmm. I don't have children, none of us do. And so it's like interesting to know from, from parents out there and moms in particular, what's necessary. Yeah. And I think some of the races, like we were talking about the Scott mountain race, they're not trying to necessarily set people up with like random sitters. They're trying mm-hmm. to like work alongside like a local daycare, a local provider. Cause a lot of States have like really strict sanctioning on a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff too, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is, yeah, there's lots of little hurdles there. And then I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Alice Baker um, reshared 
an mm-hmm. early, early episode from our pregnancy series. It was the interview with Liz Carey and Ladia Albertson Junkins. Um, Alice is currently pregnant and was like, I'm so happy I found this episode right now, right when I needed it, even if it was eight months after it was released. Um, <laughs> so that, that was really cool to see that these episodes, particularly ones that are very topical, like have a like will have a time in your life where there might be a reason to go back and listen to it or to find it for the first time, et cetera. So I think that that's really cool to have that perspective of, you know, older episodes finding a home right now for someone in a really positive way. So I'd encourage you all, if you need something specific to look back through older episodes of ours, um, there's likely something there for you. We've covered a lot of wide ranging topics with a bunch of experts and then also us just breaking down some science. So go check those out. They're still, they, they live in existence for forever for you. So <laughs> it's permanent. another reason to go listen to Lottie Alberson Jackson's talk. <laughs> and Liz, so right? The two of them together yeah. are just <laughs> magic. Just a magic interview. Probably one of my favorites that we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That's it, y'all. Thank you so much. Um, go to any of your favorite podcasts players and leave us a review give us all the stars i think you can give like 20 or something so let's max those out and um until next time we'll see you out on the trails